Welcome to Thinking Sheep, a podcast that probes the riches and complexities of life. Thinking Sheep podcast. Think as you lead. Think harder as you follow. As you follow. As you follow. Welcome to the Thinking Sheep podcast. I am your host, Skip Walker. And today we have part two of our conversation with psychologist, relationship expert, and counselor, Dr. Sam Hasty, calling all the way in from Miami, Florida. Dr. Hasty, welcome back to the Thinking Sheep podcast. Great pleasure of mine to be back once again. Pleasure indeed. Dr. Hasty, last week you gave us a lot to think about concerning marriage and marriage as an institution. You talked about how it's important for individuals to approach marriage, approach this institution with an attitude of giving instead of an attitude of what can I get out of this for me. You talked about how marriage is not necessarily a 50-50 thing and love has very little to do with it. And then you talked about the importance of individuals being educated about marriage up front. Uh, Before they say I do, there has to be some type of process to give the marriage its best chance at survival. So today I want to go back to uh, the subject of marriage as an institution. When you say institution, what does that really mean? Because I could see the word institution being intimidating. When two people come together, they're pretty much riding off of this romantic thing and all they know is they want to live their lives together. So what do you mean by marriage as an institution. Sure, sure. And perhaps um, perhaps one of the best ways to approach this subject is is to very quickly uh, look at institutions um, broadly. Broadly, and then and then focus in on 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 marriage uh, particularly. So when we think of institutions, um, unfortunately, we tend to think of of well. I'm not sure that's fair, but sometimes we use the broad brush uh, and we think of institutions as buildings. Um, uh, Institutions really is organizations, organizations um, with rules and guidelines and principles by which that organization is going to 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 operate. So. Um, for example, there are there are there are professional um, institutions. Uh, in the case of of, of uh, my discipline of psychology, there's the American Psychological Association. We say that that is a professional organization that really provides guidance and directions uh, 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 for us. Now, another way of looking at institutions is um, in a much more broader way. Democracy is an institution. Democracy. Uh, Communism is an institution. Socialism is an institution. So you, you, but all of them as institutions are ways of governing or ways of managing or ways of living. Marriage as an institution is, is, is an, is a, lifestyle, it's a way of operating or it's a way in which two individuals 
have agreed to live their lives together, marriage. That's why there's a difference between being married, single, divorced, and widowed. So we can say marriage is an institution, but singlehood is an institution as well. Divorce is an institution, just as being widowed is an institution. All of these are just different different ways in which individuals may choose to live or find themselves living in in the case of marriage. That's a choice. That's a choice, right? Um, So marriage as an institution provides a means by which two individuals have decided they are going to live their lives. Now, even as I say that, let me also very quickly add that under the auspices of marriage, the, we, we need to differentiate um, in, 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 in this living that I talk about because individuals can be in a monogamous marriage, they can be in a polygamous marriage. Now, here in the U.S., the last I checked, I think polygamy is illegal, um, and I think it is in most countries in the world. So for the most part, when we talk about marriage, we're talking about uh, monogamy. Monogamy then says, monogamous marriages as an institution says, two individuals are agreeing to live with each other and share a kind of relationship with each other that would not be shared otherwise and certainly would not be shared with 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 other individuals and so let me let me put a finer point on that again to emphasize this concept of a monogamous marriage because often we uh, are taught to believe or persuaded or we have the conversation about marriage as a commitment and 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 let me push back on that idea marriage isn't so much a commitment as much as individuals commit to the kind of marriage they want to have and what i mean by that is the commitment isn't to marriage the commitment I would say, is to the type of marriage you're going to have. So most of us would say, particularly in our vows, um, forsaking all others until death do us part, that is a commitment to monogamy. That is a commitment to a monogamous relationship. Stay with me here, because I want to emphasize this other thing as well. The, 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 The idea of of committing to a person is is not one that I believe in or teach, even in marriage, right? So it's not that you're committing to a person in marriage. What you're committing to is monogamy. Allow me the illustration of Jack and Jill. If Jack and Jill marry, Jack and Jill marry, and it is a great monogamous marriage for quite some time. God forbid Jack passes on, either naturally or disease or accident, whatever the case is, right? Jack passes on. If Jill is committed to Jack rather than being committed to monogamy, Jill cannot remarry. 
stay with me here. So my point is, Jack and Jill's commitment is not, the, the, the commitment is not to each other. The commitment is to monogamy. So for as long as the monogamous relationship is intact and lasts, they are the only two in that particular institution of that monogamous marriage that will live and operate within the confines of that relationship. One of them passes on. Because they are committed to monogamy as opposed to the persons participating in that particular monogamous relationship, they are now free to marry someone else. But even when they marry someone else, they move into another monogamous relationship. Monogamous relationship. So not to get you too far off a subject here, because your question is really about marriage as an institution. The institution of marriage is a way of, or, or, or the way in which two individuals have decided that they are going to live their lives. So that's the institution. They have decided how they are going to live their lives together as married people, as opposed to single or divorced individuals. Am I making any sense to you? Yes. Well, when two people come together and they want to spend their lives together, when they make that decision on a deeper level, what are they really looking for? We know in the beginning that romance is often the driving force, but romance alone can't sustain a marriage. When those trials come, romance is not going to be the thing that holds the two together, right? So on a deeper level, what are, what are individuals really looking for? Yeah, uh, so if you'll allow me to, to, to shift things a little bit in the question, I, 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 as opposed to maybe what they're looking for or what they should be looking for, um, because what a lot of people are in fact looking for is, and I say shift and, and, and in retrospect, maybe it isn't too, too different, but what, 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 what people really want is, and what they should uh, look for is what they cannot get on their own by themselves. Let me say that again. When individuals come into this wonderful institution of marriage, they really should be looking for what they cannot get on their own by themselves. And that very specifically is companionship. You can get money on your own by yourself. You can get property on your own by yourself. You can get love on your own by yourself. That's a concept we'll tease out a little bit more if necessary. You can get almost anything else on your own by yourself. What you cannot get on your own by yourself is companionship. Right. Well, most people come into a marriage looking for love, correct? Or their idea of love. They come in looking for love. They come in looking for love. This is a very, very bad idea. This is a bad idea. Well, playing devil's advocate, why is that a bad idea? Because what happens is when you come in looking for love, 
you constantly have love in your eyes, so to speak. That's what you're constantly looking for. It now sets that entire relationship up for failure. Because the minute you do not see love as you define it or perceive it, you then say, well, the marriage isn't working or the person didn't love you like they did in the past or they, 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 they never rose to the level of love that you're giving to them. And so it becomes this compare and contrast. And anytime, anytime there's a, pairing, a, a compare and contrast, both individuals lose. Both, both individuals lose. So, so, so a lot of people are coming in looking for love. To answer your question much more directly, what are people looking for? People are looking for love. People are looking for love. And one of the reasons people are looking for love is because we've been taught to believe that in order to experience love, that's something we have to experience from someone other than ourselves. And I completely disagree with that concept. Completely disagree. Because the, the, what, 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 what I now believe, what I now believe is, is you yourself are love. Not L-O-V-E-D, but L-O-V-E. And so, so as love... When two people come into the marriage relationship as love, they're not looking to be L-O-V-E-D. There's no need for that. Each is already L-O-V-E-D by themselves. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. When each comes in as L-O-V-E, love, the other becomes the recipient of the love that each one is. And so now that's a full effect of love. No one looking for it because everyone has it. And yet the other person benefits from what the other one has. So what should you be coming in for? Not love. You should be coming in for companionship. Well, let's shift gears for a minute. Let's talk about some of the challenges that people face in marriage. I often hear women say that it's very difficult to have a successful marriage and simultaneously have a successful career. Oftentimes, I hear women say that the two just simply can't work. Something has to give. Something will suffer. Either the career will suffer or the marriage will suffer. Talk more about that. Yeah, and, 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 and that is what is referred to as a false dichotomy. A dichotomy, of course, is, is, is two things. That's a false dichotomy. Uh, we never really ask men uh, whether or not they can be successful in their careers and in their marriages. And one of the reasons we don't do it, because we tend to equate and conflate um, being wife with being mother and childbearing the responsibility. And again, we do our entire families a disservice when we do that because um, fathers are equally, equally responsible for, for, for home and family as is mom. Now, back to your question. Can a woman have a successful career and, and a successful marriage? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, she certainly can. The question, the question is, what does success mean for her in both of those? And what you, what you, what, what you will see is that is that individuals are going to have this kind of sliding scale effect. Um, th this, this. Um, 
um, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, let's go to sliding scale, kind of sliding scale effect uh, of, uh, of, of the degree to which um, a career is successful and um, the degree to which uh, marriage is successful at the same time. Here's, here's one of the ways to think about this. If it is the case that time in is quality out, then, then, then you, you, you think about how much time is invested in career and how much time is invested in marriage and what quality comes out of both based on the amount of time that's invested. So everyone has 24 hours in the day, 168 hours um, in the week. Now, but that doesn't mean that if one couple invests 40 hours a week in the marriage, it's going to be the same kind of 40 hours in the week with another couple. That's not true. So it's 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 not this one-to-one -one kind of ratio. What makes the difference? What makes the difference is the level of maturity in that relationship. So 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 how prepared was a couple coming into the relationship? How much ground did they cover in terms of um, emotional intelligence, emotional intimacy? How much ground did they cover prior to that in terms of financial literacy? Um, if, you, if, you, if you, for example, have covered quite a bit in financial literacy prior to coming into the relationship, the degree to which you were able to read financial statements, and I'm not talking about literal statements, right, but what's happening financially within the relationship, the degree with which you are able to read what's happening in the relationship financially is going to be different than if you come into the relationship not so financially literate. Well, playing devil's advocate again, I could see someone saying, well, what does that have to do, Dr. Hasty, with a woman and her career within a marriage. Everything, everything. Because while on the one hand, it is very true that a woman can be very successful in marriage and a career, it is also true that time has to be given to both of those things in order for success. What tends to happen more often than not is is it's not that individuals want to be successful in one or the other. No, they want to be successful in both. But given that the time is limited, sometimes they calculate that what they're going to do is focus first and foremost, or more so, on the career and then on the marriage. That I have seen to be more of a mistake than anything else more than a mistake than anything else. So so, so it is my experience, and the literature is clear about this when we look at the research literature, it is clear that individuals who really focus on the quality of their marriage, they do much better in their careers a whole lot faster. And that is where we are having a challenge generally in our societies. So even in my experience as a college professor, as I'm preparing students for the world of work, 
you will hear many of them talk about how they're putting uh, relationships on the back burner where they're focusing first and foremost on their career. What happens if you if you were to follow a lot of those individuals over a 10, 15, 20, 30 year period, what you see is as they, as they get older in life, what becomes of greater value or what they want to become of greater value for them is really that marriage or that family. But because so many have spent so much time on career, they have lost a lot of ground. They've lost a lot of ground in that relationship. And by the time they try to do the repair work or the catch-up work, unfortunately, there are times it seems like it's irreparable. So can a woman be successful in her career and in her marriage? Absolutely. But there is a calculation involved as to how to go about doing that, which really needs to be addressed through 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 coaching and counseling. Yes. And I'm enjoying listening to you as I'm listening to you. I'm really thinking about how people can reimagine marriage that yes marriage is beautiful when you think about the romantic aspect of it the idea of marriage the idea of kids and a beautiful home but your work says to us that there's a lot of work to do before you say i do yes yeah. very much so another question that i wanted to ask you is um i often hear women talk about how they feel like they have to diminish themselves in order for the marriage to work. I'm sure you may have heard that too. Yes. The woman feels like she has to give up everything, um, maybe give up her identity in order for the marriage to be successful. Um, and, I, and I'm sure you've counseled people like that. How do you approach that situation? Excellent question. Excellent question. In fact, I... I had a very recent conversation where where um, a couple was was addressing this, and the thing that I said to them is the worst thing you can ever do um, in a marriage. The worst thing that you can ever do is surrender who you are. It is the worst thing that you can ever do, and and and. Because the minute you give up who you are, you have now changed the complexion of that relationship, not only for you, but for your married partner as well. Because the person that they, they, they met initially, the person that they met, met initially, you're no longer that person. Now, if you have changed who you are because they have asked you to do that, then you do yourself a disservice. You do yourself a disservice. So so this, once again, we come full circle to what was um, being talked about just a minute ago in terms of, of, of uh, relationship coaching and then premarital counseling, because this is where these kinds of things are caught and identified and fleshed out and discussed. Um, because nobody, nobody should ask another person to change who they are. Now, as I say that, there's a caveat. If you ask someone to change who they are, 
The only reason for which that should be done is because you believe that that person can be a better version of themselves for themselves, not for you. One more time. If you're inviting, if you're inviting someone to change who they are, you would do that under the auspices. You would do that because you believe that in them doing so, it would be better for them, not for you. But you believe that by them being a better version of themselves, you now become the recipient Mm -hmm. of the better person that they are for themselves. That is a healthy perspective. That is the perspective. So this idea, this idea that we've had for the longest uh, 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 about marriage where people should change for each other and people should compromise is what I refer to as utter nonsense. It is nonsensical because now you have two people in a relationship who believe that they have to change for each other, both end up being miserable because of these compromises that are having to be made and they don't like it and yet they feel like, well, this is what make marriages work. It does not. It is what actually tear marriages uh, apart. So no, changing for someone or having to diminish your own identity or you downplay your your either your personality or your role or your none of that works. None of it works. And this is the hard work where 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 once again uh, in relationship coaching, even before we get to premarital counseling, relationship coaching is where individuals. Um, reveal, or it is revealed, who they in fact truly, truly are. And this is a place of vulnerability, where, where, where both individuals are willing to be sufficiently vulnerable so that as they reveal who they truly are, the other person can say, nah, I think I'll pass on this one. And it's okay, because that's what you, what you do not want, Pastor, is to end up in a marriage with someone uh, where where they're not who they are, or they don't feel like they can be who they really want to be, nor you. That is referred to as a living hell. It just doesn't work. Now, what about, I often hear women, and and I'm I'm asking you these questions, uh, because these are probably the most popular questions that I get. Uh, I often hear women say uh, that men are intimidated by successful women. And uh, and that is a problem. That becomes a problem. A lot of women who are single and successful with high-powered careers, they often say, man, I just can't find a mate because these men out here, they're just intimidated by a successful woman. Um, What do you say to that? Unfortunately, in too many instances, that's true. That's true. That 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 there are a lot of men who who are intimidated, um, and what they're really intimidated uh, about is a woman's earning power. Most men are not um, intimidated, so to speak, uh, by a woman's uh, intelligence. Most men will tell you, "Oh no, I I I want to be with her." with a really bright, smart woman, right? Um, and so that is something, now, when that begins to transform itself into earning power and she can earn more money than he does, 
that can in fact become intimidating. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason. And the reason for that is because historically, we have seen uh, the male factor uh, primarily as the breadwinner. And there was a time in, in, in American history, particularly um, up to World War, up to World War, uh, up to World War II. So World War II was really the beginning of this kind of uh, a transition, a transformation of, uh, of the family. And that was because when so many men had to go to war, uh, women had to leave their homes and go and work the factories right? because the factories ha ha had to still produce. So now that's one of the reasons. The other reason is, and this is particularly true um, among um, black and brown families, a lot of men ended up being absent in the home uh, because they, they, they were incarcerated. All right, now, we're not going to talk how that worked out the way it looks like. The country's now moving towards something much more civil uh, with respect uh, to all of that. But if you have uh, the, 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 the breadwinner who is no longer in a position where he can now be the breadwinner, you have forced that family into a paradigm shift. So that's instance number two. Instance number three is where you have perhaps mom and dad in the home with children, but for whatever reason, dad does not provide for, protect, and take care of that family. And mom has especially female daughters. And she says, for example, don't make the mistake that I did. I didn't go to school. I got pregnant early, I didn't go to college, I didn't focus on a career, uh, and so do not make that mistake. You go to school, you get an education, don't let any man take care of you, uh, work for what you really want, get your own, take care of yourself. And particularly in our African-American African communities, our little girls have heard that message well. Not only have they heard it well, they have lived it out well. So much so that for the past 30 years, African-American women have outpaced, and I mean significantly outpaced college enrollment, um, uh, have, have outpaced African-American men in college enrollment. And so now what has happened, you have, uh, Pardon expression, this boatload of African American women, well educated in their 30s, early 30s, single, um, ready to be married, and who are either not getting the nods or being more selective, uh, maybe considering uh, marrying outside of their race and or culture because they say, no, you got to meet me where I am. Or even if they are willing to marry within their own race or culture, you have African-American man, uh, man of color, who says, now look, it's okay, but girl, you're gonna have to play it down, okay? I mean, you just gonna have to tamp that thing down because 
uh, no, you, you, okay, you have your degree, but you can't come off as you are smarter than I am. And if it really comes to making the money, then, then, then I don't know if we can roll with that. And one of the reasons that tends to happen is because we tend to equate money with power. And unfortunately, in our society, we cannot see men serving in some um, uh, subservient role to women financially because somehow it emasculates them. It makes them weak. This is not true. This is something uh, that has to be addressed and confronted. Now, here's the good news. Because some of the uh, some of the millennials that I'm currently working with, even those that are younger than millennials, um, that paradigm is shifting back in the other direction. So there are men who are now young men who are saying, "Listen, her income is what it is, and if she if she brings more money than I do, great, great. It all goes into the same pot, and it should work out well." But for for a lot of women who are in their mid-30s and over and looking for men of comparable ages, they, they, they have some challenges there. Well, what about compatibility? I often hear women and some men who are looking for that mate. Um, they often say, well, you know, I might have to compromise. I can't really find anybody out there that I'm compatible with, or or either I compromise or I decide not to do this thing at all. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it, it, it's. Um, I'm glad we're we're having a conversation about it because again, in in the in the in the relationship coaching and premarital counseling work that I do, um, this issue of compatibility comes up quite a bit, and and many clients. Will, will, especially on the front end of a relationship, they're saying that they want someone who's compatible. This, one of the things that I do is help individuals identify relationships that they might want as well. So if you're single and looking for someone to date or marry, then I provide that kind of searching, matching process as well. And what I find is there are there are people, both men and women, who would talk about, you know, I want someone who is compatible. And I would often ask, when you say compatibility, what do you mean? And more often than not, they talk about things like um, degrees. They talk about um, social, cultural, ethnic compatibility. Uh, these are the kinds of compatibilities uh, that they that they talk about. They are always surprised when I say to them that kind of compatibility really does not matter to a large degree, to a large degree, and it's always shocking to them, right? And so, for even for some of uh, some of those uh, in your audience who might be hearing this uh, now, I say, no, no, no. You, you you definitely have to find someone who is compatible. And I said, that's the only compatibility that there really needs to be is human compatibility. Now that 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 sounds too simplistic, but 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 I would want everyone in your audience to think about that for a minute. Because I think 
more often than not, we 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 gloss over that very very quickly uh, as we begin to go down this list of compatibilities and 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 as if we're looking for someone other than human. Everyone is looking for human, but 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 we think okay, it has to be a certain type of human. And I I mean I get that I get that. But where does that end in terms of okay? So if you have a college, if you have a college degree, are you looking for someone with a college degree? Well, so what? Someone might say yes, and then I would ask: If you have um, a master's degree, are you looking for someone with a master's degree? And then the answers begin to well, no, at least a bachelor's degree. Okay, what if you have a doctorate degree? Do 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 you need or are you looking for someone with a doctorate degree? Well, I mean, preferably, but 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 just a college degree would do. What if what if you were to meet someone, no degree whatsoever, no college degree, in fact, high school dropout, but making but making one point five million dollars a year in their business? Will they do? And they're always a taker. They're always a taker, right? So, so, so now all of a sudden, that 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 college compatibility uh, falls off the scale. And the reason I use that example uh, with my clients is because the kind of compatibility people are really looking for more so than anything else is is intellectual intellectual compatibility intellectual compatibility and we make the mistake when we when we when we when we reduce or or or, or we use um uh, college i mean college degrees uh, as 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 the measure for intelligence it simply is not the measure right now we can talk about other kinds of compatibilities but intellectual compatibility I, I think there's a lot to be said about intellectual compatibility, but even for individuals who are intellectually compatible, and by intellectual compatibility, let's say, let's say if we were to use the, the, the IQ uh, scale, so average IQ is 100, um, if you have an IQ, let's say that's 110, uh, you you you're considered uh, uh, quite intelligent, and that that's that's when we begin to get into some rare territory. But let's say there are two individuals who measure 110 on the IQ test. Are they intellectually compatible? Yes, yes, intellectually compatible. But because they're intellectually compatible, does that mean? that they're going to enjoy reading the same kinds of things or the same kinds of activities? No, no, no. So what I try to coach my clients through is understanding that the value of quality relationships is a function of trying to understand early on who that person really is certain degrees of compatibility, but more so what is it you really want to build together as a couple? And can you in fact do that in the discovery process in the first several months of the relationship? And here is the 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 
the biggest misconception, the biggest misconception about relationships is, well, no, it takes time to get to know people. And I say, yes, but not nearly as much time as you think you do. Not nearly as much time as we think we do. And so I continue to say, because I know it to be true, that you can get to know um, a person within three, four months, within three, four months, if you're being guided through that process um, properly, you can get to know someone. Because when we talk about get to know someone, we're talking about getting to observe and experience the numerous amount of scenarios um, under which uh, that relationship is going to experience those scenarios. True the matter is, no matter how long you are together, you never repeat any experience. So in getting to know someone, you really don't know, you, 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 you really don't want, um, or you really cannot know how they're going to behave. But what you can know is how they might think. And so what we tend to say uh, in this field uh, of psychology and social work and psychiatry and coaching and counseling is the best predictor, the best predictor of future behavior is current behavior and the best predictor of behavior is thinking, oh wait, there seems to be a spiritual or scriptural principle that underlines that. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what we do in coaching and counseling is help individuals identify their own thinking while recognizing the thinking of others. Then to look at those thinking patterns and see how they align with behavioral patterns. And based on that combination, we say it is our best guess that if this person were to encounter this kind of thing in the future, here is how they might respond. Because we see some evidence of behavior now, but what we also see is a way of thinking, a perspective, a worldview, a mindset. That is what we try to shape up, particularly when it comes to compatibility. Did that make sense to you? Yes, that makes a lot of sense, which leads me to my last question for our conversation. Man, you've talked about so much. You've given us so much to think about again. But for the last question, are you optimistic about marriage and the future of the institution in this country? Even with the numbers, the numbers don't look good. The divorce rate is high. The divorce rate is high even among Christians. How optimistic are you that this institution will last? Extremely optimistic. Extremely optimistic. And here's the reason why. Um, because of those uh, few last words you used in your question. In this country. This country is set up for marriage. This country is set up for marriage. And so I'm extremely optimistic. Uh, now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be watching uh, publications and news broadcasts um, in the first quarter of 2021, because that's where we're going to start seeing uh, the data 
from the 2020 census. What we saw in the 2010 census was this precipitous decline in uh, marriage. Uh, we saw in uh, precipitous increase in 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 divorce, an increase in cohabitation, and an increase in um, alternative lifestyles of, of um, cohabiting and marrying. And so what I'm going to be looking for in the 2020 census results, and we won't get any publications until maybe um, February, March of 2021, I'm going to be looking to see um, how those data compare 10 years later. I suspect I suspect that we will see even more of a decline in marriage, more of an increase in in divorce, and more of an increase in cohabitation. So where, if that's true, where does the optimism come from? I think we're going to see kind of a, a, a U-shape uh, recovery as we talk about <laughs> recoveries, right? So, I think we've seen these precipitous declines for a number of years now, a number of years. But I think it's going. I think I think we're going to see um, a recovery in what we might refer to as as not so much traditional marriage, whatever that means. Uh, but I think we're going to see more marriages because I am optimistic, Pastor, about not only the work that I'm doing, uh, but the work that you are doing and the work that others are doing, um, not only here in the US, but across the world to improve the quality of relationships. So one of the questions I often ask my students in reference to marriage, divorce and remarriage uh, data, when I'm teaching classes, especially on um, marriage uh, marriage classes, I share with them the, the, the current data on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, which is um, 50% of all first-time marriages in America end in divorce. Many of those individuals will remarry and then divorce for a second time at a rate of 65%. Many of those will remarry for a third time and then divorce at a rate of 75%. And I would ask my students on the heels of those statistics, what do you make of that? Many of them respond, marriage doesn't work. To which I respond, I see that people want to be married, but they don't know how to stay married. That's the work you and I are doing, Pastor. That is what makes me optimistic. What makes me op optimistic is that people want to be married. And given that they don't know how to do that successfully, that's where you and I go to work. You and I do the work of helping them be successful in their marriages. If not for the first time, the second time, if not for the second time, for the third time. And so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not so much concerned about if I get to them on the second or the third try. In fact, I would like to get to them. And so much of my work now is, is, is getting to them even before the first marriage. But look, 
people are getting married at a rate faster than 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 I can I can I I can get to them. But what I know is that that people want to be married, and so I'm very optimistic that as long as the focus is on creating, nurturing, and growing healthy marriages, we're going to see a recovery in it. Well, Dr. Hasty, I really do appreciate you coming on the show, uh, coming to share your wisdom. I'm already getting, I'm already being flooded with emails and all kinds of questions. So I look forward to having you back. Um, I look forward to having you back on the Thinking Sheep podcast. Um, I look forward to hearing more about your work and the progress that you're making and helping us to reimagine marriage and to understand the value and the work that must be done before you say I do. Thank you again so much for coming on. My friend, I am at your disposal. Uh, I appreciate so much the work that you're doing, uh, the work that you're doing as a priest, as a pastor. Uh, and let me also say the work, the work that you're, 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 you're doing as a pastoral musician. Hmm. Pastoral musician. I like that. I'm going to have to unpack that one, though. Pastoral musician. Okay. There's a phrase or term for you. I don't know if you've thought about that, uh, but you, you, you're, you're doing so much work in so many areas. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I just want to bless you for the heart that you have uh, in, in wanting to, to help people live this, this quality of life that we all really can enjoy in a healthy companionship. And so anytime I can contribute to that, uh, just... As 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 uh, I think was it uh, I don't know it's AT and T years ago or some some telephone company used to say just just reach out and touch. Well, I appreciate that, Doctor Hasty. You have been listening to the Thinking Sheep podcast. Our guest today was Doctor Sam Hasty, psychologist, relationship coach, counselor talking to us today about the challenges of marriage and reimagining marriage and understanding exactly what marriage demands from two individuals. You can read more about Dr. Hasty and reach out to him at www.helpfulhasty.com. That's www.helpful.com. H-E-A-S-T-I-E HelpfulHasty.com Join me next week when my guest will be Doa Kalabela. She will talk about her journey from living in Libya as a Muslim to converting to Christianity and now living in America. She will talk about her frustrations with Christianity in America and why she has now decided to turn away from church completely. Again, you have been listening to the Thinking Sheep Podcast. I am your host and creator, Skip Walker. The music you are listening to is entitled Little Sunflower, brought to you by Skip Walker, featuring Skip Walker on drums, Stephen Riley on sax, Joe Lindsay on guitar, and Grant Osborne 
on organ. This song was originally written and recorded by jazz trumpeter Freddie Hubbard. You can find this version that you're listening to on all digital media outlets. Enjoy.
Thinking Sheep Podcast. Think as you lead. Think harder as you follow. As you follow.